Podcast where we discuss the movie Titanic minute by minute. I'm your co-host Rob, and joined as always by my good friends Joe and Duff. Hello, hey everyone. And uh, it's minute 189. We're in the credits. We're breaking all the rules. We're gonna have a guest on, former heart of the ocean, Colin. Welcome back. Hello, thanks for having me back. 189. That's so funny. What a long movie. <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> Uh, I'm trying to think. We had you on for uh, uh, like. Had we even gotten thir- to 1912 yet? I, no, no, no I think it was the 13th, 11, oh, 12, or 13. Man. Yeah, one of those. 13, 13 sounds yeah. right. Yep. And yeah. at that time, Colin, as Duff and I discovered during the recording, as did our listeners, you had not actually seen anything besides minute 13 of Titanic. Correct. That was my big fun joke. You asked ultimately how much I had seen, and I was like, "How long is the picture?" He said, "189." I said, "Well, I've seen one 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 hundred and eighty ninth of the picture." <laughs> um. All right, but now, if I recall, in minute thirteen, towards the end, those we said that if you watch this, we could have you back for your thoughts on the movie. Have you watched Titanic in its entirety? I have. It's so funny the way you set that up. It sounds like a like a 1980s game show yeah. <laughs> like with the studio audience. I have watched Titanic. So well, my my guard's up now, so I understand. Uh, <laughs> well, the James Cameron version. <laughs> oh, that's good. That's good. No, it was actually the National Geographic special. Oh, uh, yes. Maybe I thought that was maybe how you were going to prank us. <laughs> no, I sat down and watched it. Um, n- honestly, not long after we recorded the episode. Um, you know, that's just the conversation watching the one minute and kind of starting to draw a little bit clearer of a picture of how it came together. Uh, turned around and watched it really quickly after we recorded that episode. All right. So about 84 years ago. Um, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so what'd you think? What are your, uh, you know, what are your, your pros, your cons overall? What's your opinion on this? Yeah. You know, um, it sounds so simple to say, but I enjoyed it. It was fine. I'm sure you've got a lot of passionate lovers of the film and followers of the podcast who are screaming at their headphones right now if they're listening to this in the car or whatever. Um, I, I just I thought it was fine. It was like a Sunday afternoon matinee. It was so simple. And one of the things that really struck me when you guys started doing this was talking about the approach that the director, the filmmaker had and James Cameron and kind of this... Um, impression of his own identity of manliness that just that struck me early on and I don't want to say that that formed an opinion for the way I watched the picture but it just felt so simple and junior high Mm -hmm. as far as like the love story the love story itself was so simplistic Um, I have a hard time getting past that to call it a quality picture I thought it was very average now that said it did what it wanted to and had to do really well. It, the The set direction, the art direction, every, the costumes were fantastic. The sets that they constructed were absolutely spectacular. It looked amazing. Um, I did very much like, and I know we talked about this a little bit on that episode that we did, I very much liked how 
they took a dive into micro stories to tell a greater story. Mm. I liked yeah. how the impending disaster was kind of woven in a little bit without people knowing that it was happening or coming at us. And I'm making these big hand gestures now around the microphone that you can't see. Um, <laughs> I just, I thought ultimately it was very binary. It was like, here's the part where they dance. Here's the scene where they spit. This guy is bad. <laughs> here's where they frolic. <laughs> yeah. Man, know, I am had... I tired of the old spit trope? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, and that's, you know, you said the spit moment. I, that's one of my notes here. I, had, I made some notes, of course, and I just, it had moments. It was now is where we do this. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was, like I say, it was very bad binary. There are good guys and bad guys. And if wasn't binary if it, if there was a moment when it wasn't binary they made it very very clear that this was a moment where they were coloring a character in a shade of gray so you might trust and care for him a little bit more or her a little bit more um the way they'd look at the camera or deal with it it just oh at this point he's not really a bad guy so you might care about him a little bit it just felt sure. very wooden in that perspective so fine great good looking very simple was it Joe? Was it you or or Claire yesterday that that brought up um, the uh, the like this is a love story written by someone who's never been in love? It sounds smart, so I probably said it. <laughs> uh, no, techni- I, think Cla- I think Claire said it, or maybe uh, technically none of us said it. I think I yeah that was brought up. Someone else. Yeah, said it was on the okay. unspooled episode of Titanic. Someone on there said it. Oh yeah, yeah. So I think I think like Colin, a lot of what. You know, the artifice that doesn't work for you is probably because of that truth. Right. Like it's like I said, it's just so simplistic. The love story felt like a junior high love story. I mean, even the way they get to the sex scene in the car with the hand. And I, I enjoyed yeah. laughing at you guys talking about that. I think you were talking about that on Twitter, the controversy of the yes. hand. Definitely, and the hand definitely written, uh, if not by an actual virgin, one with the mindset yeah. of a virgin. <laughs> Only yeah. a virgin would think having sex in a car sounds awesome. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Someone watched two Emmanuels and then decided to write a scene. <laughs> in a cargo hold. James yeah. Cameron's Red Shoe Diaries. <laughs> well, um, Joe, I mean, you know, this is, uh, you, this is something you really want to talk about. You wanted to bring in an expert why don't we why don't you lead us right into uh the reason colin's here we we're gonna get epic in this episode and after talking about this goddamn movie for <laughs> hours and hours and hours going well on over and 60 on forever, hours. we um I, I i thought it'd be fun to talk about our favorite epic films so just kind of set an arbitrary cutoff movies that are three hours or longer which I was sort of really shocked by the fact that there's a couple of my favorites are like one or two minutes yeah. shy of three hours. And it yeah. really made me mad that I said it at that. But the oh Godfather well. is two minutes short, right? Isn't Godfather 178? That wasn't one. Well, I noticed that, but well, this is getting ahead of ourselves. I think the second one is better and that one is over three hours. Okay. So I didn't really care about that one, but it was a different one that I, I was worked okay. up about. But anyways, so I, I don't know anyone who loves sitting down for an epic length picture uh, even at bar time, uh, as much as <laughs> Colin, who's been known to uh, t- to scurry away an after bar with the best of them by popping in a, a disc of uh, 
a movie movie that will take you till the sun rises. So we, we're bringing Colin in to talk about our favorite <laughs> epics. And I know uh, Duff and Rob, you've got some favorites that are at epic length too. So I th- hope we could have a nice little fun talk about our favorites and, and maybe even talk about what ingredients does a film need to have in order to sort of hold your attention that long. Obvi- obviously, other than just you know being good. So uh, the, I'll, I'll start. Okay. One thing that I... Um, I want, I'm going to start by um, talking a, a little bit about one commonality that I found. The vast majority, I, and I found like a list of, I, I made a list of probably about 75 to 80 movies. Almost all of them are about historical events or historical figures. Yes. So my theory is that producers have realized, um, perhaps ahead of their time, before home video, but knowing it would come someday, that there will always be teachers that have um, that go on maternity <laughs> or paternity leave and need filler. And the longer the filler is, the oh, better. Hence okay. the creation ah. of movies like Gettysburg <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, and Dances with Wolves, things that a history teacher could theoretically throw on there um, to, to fill some time and maybe take a little snooze in the back of the room, like my middle school history teacher t- literally did. Yeah. Why is it? Why are they historical? Is it just because it's this idea of like, well, we have to get the full story and this is too big to be. Yeah. So I guess a two part question is just too big to do in like a two hour block. And then the second question on that is, do you think the rise of prestige TV has damaged this? Yes, definitely. Yeah. Well, I think one of the biggest things that I hit on on a, a criticism of Titanic was I didn't feel like the characters grew or if they did, it was just obvious um, you want a character to make a significant change and growth in a journey when you're watching a long film. And Joe mentioning his history and so many of these are historical perspectives. The long films, when you look at the list, they're all um, historical like museum pieces. Mm-hmm. It drops you in the time. It drops you in the place and the mindset. And it is an escape. But you, if you're going to escape for three hours you need to completely divorce yourself from time. Um, I should have looked up how long this one was. I just thought of it. Uh, Mean Streets, the Mar- Marty Scorsese picture. Mm-hmm. I saw that. I don't think it's a three-hour no, picture. When not. I saw that, I felt like I was in the theater for 13 weeks. One, mostly because it's, it's grueling to watch these characters and what they do. But you were dropped in the time and place unlike many other films and a, a one and a half, two hour film clips along pretty quickly. So you're telling a, a very quick story. And one of the things that you walk away from when I leave the theater today, if I'm seeing, you know, Marvel films or whatever, or, you know, mission impossible when it comes out next week, all these films, you walk out and like the number one thing people are saying to each other is that was fun. <laughs> that was a good ride. I really enjoyed that. Sure. Yeah. And but, now those movies are the ones that are only movies that are long. Yeah, which is interesting, in, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. I have uh, two things. Um, first, I th- I would say the reason that the historical movies tend to be the long ones is because you have, by nature, so much more to draw on and to pack in uh, compared to developing something from scratch or even from an adaptation. So mm-hmm. I, I think there's this desire to, well people actually know about this and this is a real thing that happened we have to pack in as much as possible and 
second thing I was going to say, uh, when it, for me, when it comes to, you know, what warrants or what do I look for in a long film, it's, it's really almost subject matter comes second. There has to be some type of artistic talent and it sounds silly to say because you would hope that it's there no matter what but I'm of the opinion that movies should be 90 minutes or like three and a half hours like because <laughs> most movies that fall I mean I'm exaggerating a little but most movies that cross like the 100 110 minute mark they really don't need to and now we're in this period of the Marvel universe where everything is two hours, 20 minutes, two and a half hours. And Mm -hmm. for most of them, they feel every minute of them. Sorry, Marvel fans. I like some of them. I like some of them, but like the Avengers movies and oh my God, just feels so long. Yeah. I think when you see the runtime on a picture, you see a classic picture and you see that it's going to be three and a half hours for me I'm rubbing my hands together I'm like oh boy they have something to say they have something to show me and I know Joe you're probably going to serve me up pretty soon here to get into some examples that I'm Mm -hmm. fond of Um, but when you see that and you know from childhood for me going to the video store and seeing all of the VHS tapes on the shelf every now and again in that mix there would be one that was two two VHS tapes and you were just like, what is happening there? You know, and, and you yeah. know, growing up in the 80s with home video kind of becoming a thing, you wanted to know what that story was. And I think that stuck with me. And that's why I'm so fascinated by it. I also just kind of love the perversion of making somebody watch something that is going to take so much of their time. And they're like, what on earth am I watching? Why is the screen black? And I'm just hearing this rousing score for sure. what feels like 27 minutes before it even starts. Well, I mean, let's let's jump into then. Let's start with you, Colin. What are some of your favorite um, three-hour-plus films to watch? Well, I got to say right off the bat, when Joe brought this up for me, I was shocked to think that There Will Be Blood is not three hours. It's two hours and 38 minutes. And my first reaction to Joe was, does the 45 minutes you sat in the theater after the picture ended thinking about it count to put it over three hours Uh, that's one that I've loved putting on when people are over my all-time favorite and it's truly one of my favorite films in general is Lawrence of Arabia Um, I think it's extraordinary what the filmmaker does to tell a story of multiple characters over a period of time and Duff it's right on point with what you were talking about of you when you look at a historical figure you gotta got it. You gotta give the death, the life, the growth, all those things. You gotta give the full snapshot of that individual. And what I love about that is you literally watch characters walk from left to right across this giant screen, across this giant swath of desert, or you watch a character walk toward you from yep. so deep in the desert, and it takes the time to do that, and it builds the tension, and you feel the heat. That is, it's one of my all-time favorite pictures, much less a, a picture over three hours. Um, I was surprised to see that Wolf of Wall Street is a three-hour picture. Yeah, yeah it's on something my list. more modern. Yeah, my, me too. Yeah. Um, so I think that the there's still movies that are made that are that are quite long, but what's gone now is like the true epic movie-going experience. So you mentioned one thing already, and I'll mention another one. But one is going in and having the film start with the overture. 
which you see in movie. I like Ben Hur has that. Yeah, it's brilliant. Uh, you know, I'm pretty sure, and like, it's such a cool thing. And then that there's that silence, and then the movie starts. Love it. Mm-hmm. And that that is one thing that doesn't work at home at all. Um, yeah, yeah. I, I'm yeah. also a big fan. Because everyone's of the... just gonna start looking at their phones and stuff like that if if you're watching it at home. I'm a fan of that because. Lawrence of Arabia. That's that's even a four-hour movie, isn't it? Um, pretty close. I think pretty, it's, pretty close. Yeah, yeah. it's yeah. kind of like like Lord of the Rings, Two Towers. It, I mean, the, it, ex- yeah. A lot of times, people will say, "Well, how do you watch this thing all the way through without going to the bathroom?" And it's like, well, any movie back in the day that was probably more than two hours would have an intermission. That's that was the second ingredient. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, uh, intermission. Two thousand one isn't even three hours, and that had an intermission. And I think. I know Lawrence of Arabia did. I think all those epic David Lean movies did. I mean, part of the intermission was so you could go to the lobby and get a drink and a snack and go to the bathroom. And and, it's, and, and then the movie theaters are willing to book films that long because they know they'll make, they got a second concession run in there, which is how they make all their money anyways. Yeah. And Whereas now, well, now I guess a lot of theaters, like the, our local theater, you can order stuff during the movie so it's probably not as as much of a problem for movie theaters all these long like science fiction action movies that are are so long but but it is an issue for movie theaters you know uh, uh, they'd rather have an hour and a half movie they can show twice than a 3 hour movie they can show once i mean also yeah. like the over the overture replaces to some extent trailers and just the idea of you play this while everyone's arriving and getting in their seats and getting settled and you know um that's sort of gone with you know book your tickets online and your seat and show up at the time and then watch 25 minutes of trailers. Yeah. And it just, it's such a statement of intent too. I I love film as a marriage of the arts. Film can give us all of the arts, the oral visual arts. It makes us feel things in ways um, in kind of that cosmopolitan mix that singular artistic media doesn't necessarily. Um, to walk into a black screen and have that score going in an overture is such a statement of intent from the auteur, from the individual behind the film. Um, says, you are mine right now, and I'm, I'm going to take you on this journey. And then when you get the intermission and everybody clears out, you can stay there and still get that score, but it changes, and it shows you what's happening next. And then when it comes back, that character is different. Time has passed. Something has happened, and you're picking up with somebody with whom you just created a bond, and you're going to see what else is yet to come for these people. And I just I think that that growth can't be understated in the quality of delivering. If you're if you're going to have the chutzpah to come out and say you're mine for three four hours, you better deliver on it. And I think those classic films, David Lean. I'm glad you mentioned his name because he's the architect of so many of these: uh, yeah. Bridge Over the River Kwai, Doctor Zhivago, yep. Lawrence of Arabia. All these films, they take you somewhere, they drop you in time, and you are there and you feel it for a very long time. Just, just so we don't show that we're too uh, artsy fartsy. Uh, one thing, one way that uh, producer. William Castle, he produced a lot of cheesy horror movies like yeah. House on Haunted Hill. He would actually try to captivate the uh, olfactory sense and that for his cheap horror movies, he would try to oh, yeah. pump bad smells into the theater. <laughs> yes. Have, I think he had like bats swooping from the ceiling too, like rubber bats would drop down at times. Yeah, he would have, uh, I think it was House on Haunted Hill, like during a scary scene, he had a skeleton just fly overhead or something like that. Yeah. <laughs> I was at the Shedd Aquarium in Chicago last year, and they had one of those kind of 
180 degree screens showing some aquatic life thing and they would do the water spray at you right somehow water would spray at you somewhere Mm -hmm. and then there was a thing with uh like dolphins spearing fish jumping through the waves and all of a sudden this giant piece of plastic shoved into the middle of your back from the back of your seat that was supposed to be like the dolphin coming to get you it was just like that's uncomfortable that's not (laughs) what yeah but you know they were engaging all of your senses this oh 4d picture here we're gonna poke you in the back Something like six pack containers of beers went around your neck, and it's like this is what it's like being a dolphin. <laughs> <laughs> but the next thing I wanted to bring up is we, we, you know, I did talk about how so many of these are are biographical pictures or they're historical epics, and I just wanted to point out, and and hopefully, I'll I'll admit, you know, I kind of made that long list, and I d- didn't work super hard at this, but I found two that I found were like truly original. Not in, obviously people will hear that and they'll name the films and be like, oh, they ripped off this one or that one. And I don't mean in that sense, but they're they started as movies. They weren't based on a book. They're also not based on a specific historical event necessarily or um, or figure. And the the two that I I came up with were um, Magnolia, which I think yeah. is, is in some ways an interesting that's over three uh, hours partner with Titanic because both of them are over three hours long, but also both of them take place in a very limited time frame. Mm-hmm. You know, the mm-hmm. bulk of Titanic is, what, th- two or three days? Obviously, there's the yeah, yeah. present day like- things. And Magnolia, the bulk of that is one day and one night and, and a morning. Although there also is like that, that introduction part um, that kind of shows all the coincidences or whatever. So yeah. I, I thought those were two interesting ones. Oh, that was one. I didn't mention the second one. The second one that I, I thought of was The Deer Hunter which I was surprised to find out wasn't, it just seems like a movie that would be based on a book or something, but from what I can gather, it was not. Although there is a lot of controversy about how that script got developed, but that's a whole separate thing. The people that do the deer hunter minute can talk about that one. (laughs) (laughs) Minute roulette. Can you guys think of any other, other ones that, um, Original. Or have comments on those two? Well, or, I or? like that you noted how, and I, I've only seen Magnolia once. I remember it was spectacular. I haven't oh, seen man, it again, I though. But love Magnolia. Um, I like how you mentioned that it takes place in a short period of time, because I, I just wrote to myself here that one, one word I wanted to make sure we didn't skip was epic, that these historical pictures cover such a, a long period of time and growth of character, all that, la, 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 but they're epics. Um the Hobbit pictures recently from Peter Jackson, of course, those were over three hours, but they were so extraordinarily bloated, right? It's a simple book, wonderful story, and there's like 45 minute action scenes in there. So you can also hit that long journey story and just completely take it too far with bloatation. Like you gotta edit, you gotta edit. or there are those pictures that are projects that are almost kind of sadistic. Um, Nymphomaniac was in there mm-hmm. in a list of films that were over three hours. And I, I've been fooled too many times by Lars von Trier, so I refuse. Yeah, yeah exactly, exactly, <laughs> exactly. I I read the plot on Wikipedia, and I know the movie is not for the plot. But even reading about the basic structure of it, I was like, this is not for me. No, thank you. <laughs> right. Duffville. <laughs> Dancer in the Duff. <laughs> Dancer in the Duff. That's funny. Um, Hateful Eight is another yeah! modern film yeah. that was over three hours. Ooh, I like yeah. Hateful Eight. I, I, I'm, I like I it. I have mixed feelings about it. But I... All right, go ahead. 
Well, the thing I was going to say about it is it outside of the beginning, which is magnificent, that stagecoach journey in the snow, and it's really well shot. Um, and I can't remember how long that goes, but I don't know, 15 minutes, maybe a half hour tops. Sure. Most of the film takes place in one room. To a chamber drama. Yeah. Right. Um, what yeah, a waste good, of film. Good thing you got all those 70 millimeter cameras. Yeah. Um, yeah, actually, you've mentioned some I have on my list with uh, Wolf of Wall Street and Magnolia. Um, Hateful Eight is on my list. I, I know that's, uh, you know, a divisive movie, but I enjoy watching them. Because I tried to think of my list on this for what is three-hour movies I'll rewatch. So there's three-hour movies I think are great. Yeah. Including Lawrence of Arabia and, like, uh, Once Upon a Time in America and, like, even, like... Was, it, know, was that based on a book or was that an original? Because I know you're the... Uh, Le- uh, Leone expert. Do you know yeah. off the top of your head? I don't. I don't. I, I think, think so. Uh, I'll, I'll look it up. You can yeah, look going. it up. I'm not sure. But related to that, what I do love, and this is why Hateful Hate is on my list, is I love westerns. And so, like, my, you know, number one of, like, my favorite western of all time is Once Upon a Time in the West. That's three hours plus. I love that movie. I even love that more than The Good, The Bad, The Ugly, which is also another three-hour uh, Leone film. But... Uh, and I'll go as far. I'll go as far as saying like I will rewatch Dances of Wolves. That's a movie I'll rewatch. I don't. It's. I'm not like I don't. You know that movie should not have won Best Picture. Like I agree with that. But like I enjoy Dances of Wolves. So like you give me a three hour western and I'm in. Yeah, that's another one that I think I've only seen the once. Um, talking westerns. Here's one for you. Seven Samurai. Oh yeah. Yeah. Right. Dances with Wolves is. I shouldn't like it, but I do. Yeah. It's it's really <laughs> that's, well that's made. That's how I feel, too. That's how I feel about um, it, too. You know, we're going to... I think we're going to have a lot of Dances with Wolves talk when we get to our Avatar episode. Yeah, I have a, I I have so a feeling. Oh, God. Uh, the quick note, it was based on a book called The Hoods by Harry Gray. Once Upon a Time oh. in America was. Okay. Uh, Duff, anything that... Any ones that we haven't uh, mentioned for you? Honestly, I think my favorite three-hour movie in terms of rewatchability. Oh, yeah. I know what this pro- is going to be. Is, well, it's probably Titanic. Oh, I know it too. Oh, oh that was going to be what? JFK. But, That's uh, disappointing. Uh, as resident Oliver Stone apologist of the podcast, yes. uh, uh, I, I'm going to go with uh, JFK or Nixon. Whoa. Interesting. I haven't seen Nixon. Uh, I want to. I Honestly, I think that Nixon is... As someone who loves Oliver Stone, I think it's one of his best. It, it, it's back when Anthony Hopkins was still trying. Uh, <laughs> I mean, it's it's as wacky as JFK, but it's more truthful. I'm not going to say it's all truthful. I haven't fact checked that, <laughs> but um, and and in case everyone's wondering, I'm well aware that JFK is like 75 percent nonsense. Yeah, it's fun. It, it's fun. <laughs> I mean, I, I'm cribbing from other reviews. Uh, Ebert more or less said the same thing. And I, there, I, I think it was his great movies essay. He talked about arguing about that movie with Walter Cronkite and how Walter Cronkite told him he should feel ashamed for praising JFK. And Ebert said that they were looking at from very different angles. And he said that JFK establishes and conveys a, a feeling and a sense that few other movies have. It's it's it, like the point of JFK. I 
I don't know. I, I might be a, kind of an apologist for it too, but like you're not supposed to come out of that feeling. Well, you probably, it's probably his intention to come out of it feeling like you learned something about the assassination or that, that it, it has something factual to offer about it. But I think what the good thing that comes out of it is, is capturing that I, that idea that these powerful people can't be trusted and it, yeah, it captures exactly. that and, and it's like a, a good 90s like kind of update on the post watergate post vietnam sort of um lack of trust in our government it, and our institutions after like basically hollywood ignoring that for a lot of the 80s during the reagan era when you know it was just all movies like red dawn and stuff and this was like a hollywood big budget picture that that kind of like really brought that cynicism and that justifiable paranoia back into it and that's why i like jfk yeah exactly it's it's a movie about the unstoppable military industrial complex and how you know power corrupts all and institutions ultimately work against it democracy and common people and Mixed in there are some very wild tales. Um, yeah. uh, uh, and Joe Pesci. Uh, yeah, there, there's, and I, I will say that there, the last time we watched it, my my wife said, "Is Oliver Stone really homophobic? Because these orgy scenes are kind of over the top." <laughs> All right, I'll rattle off a few of my favorites here, and then I'm going to get into the, my my oddity section of this podcast episode. Okay. And that'll be fairly brief. Uh, my most re- rewatchable is uh, the Fellowship of the Ring Extended Edition, if that counts. Dork. Oh, I'm okay. I'll count that. The original edition is like two minutes shy, I think, of three hours. But the ex- but that's the movie that with the best extended it, like where the extended edition improve, yep. improves it without question. Um, the other ones, it's a little more debatable, I suppose. But um, then we already mentioned Wolf of Wall Street, which I, I still can't believe is three hours long. Because it does not feel like it. No. And um, the uh, other one, uh, the other two I was going to mention that haven't been brought up would be uh, Barry Lyndon mm-hmm. and Judgment at Nuremberg, which is mm-hmm. um, timely and topical for reasons. Judgment really at Nuremberg like is A+. Plus. Yeah, That's fantastic a great movie. One. And uh, what I love about that, with like I believe Schindler's List is also three hours plus. It is. Yep. And I prefer Judgment at Nuremberg just because I think it's – Man, they're they're both very very good. Um, I just they're, think they're like, different things. They very are what... t- totally different things. I just like I sort of like what Showa does, which I which I haven't seen. Like I'm sort of fami- I'm familiar with what it does is looking at just the people that were on the periphery or just knew about it and didn't do anything or just followed orders. Like all of those people, and I find that the look at that really fascinating. Um, yeah. And then for the I don't know if you guys a brief aside here movies that i was shocked to find were over three hours long <laughs> like why is the green mile over three hours long <laughs> i don't know people love that people love, people that, love movie. that movie i'm you know, gonna I, be I, i'm gonna be the green mile apologist i saw it when it came out and i i liked it but i haven't really thought about it or seen it since and i was just shocked that it's three hours and nine minutes long i will say that that movie is expertly made and i can perform the necessary uh, mental gymnastics to enjoy it. <laughs> there, it is extremely <laughs> necessary. Do either of you guys have anything else? I don't um, think so. I just want to encourage everybody to watch Lawrence of Arabia as often as possible. <laughs> Fair. Seconded. Cosign. Yeah. 
All right. Well, Colin, thanks a lot for coming back. Thanks for watching Titanic and uh, and talking about epic films with us. Thanks for having me on, and thank you for all the effort. I know you guys have been at this for about 18 to 24 months now, so thank you. Yes. <laughs> and uh, listeners, we'll be back uh, tomorrow with uh, Minute 190. Come on.